Green Left Weekly Radio. There is one newspaper that is independent of powerful interests, and that's Green Left Weekly. It's the people's voice, committed to human and civil rights, environmental sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas mainstream media won't. It's the leading source of local, national and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movement. It exposes the lies and distortions of the power brokers and helps us to better understand the world around us. And good morning. <laughs> You're listening good to morning. Green Left Radio. <laughs> Sorry, we were having a conversation that was a bit funny. That's why I burst out laughing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, Welcome to. <laughs> While he is trying to describe dubstep and said <laughs> that horse-like music. <laughs> well, that, I guess, exposes my age. We won't talk about that <laughs> on radio. But anyway... Good morning, listeners. This is Friday Breakfast and Green Left Weekly Radio combined. We have a heap of news. In fact, there's so much of it, I don't think we even cover all of it um, today. But we have uh, 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 some interesting uh, interviews coming up. One is with um, Peter Boyle, who's a candidate for Social Alliance in Sydney, and we're talking to him about Medicare cuts mm-hmm. and generally health cuts. And we're going to talk to Fergal McGovern from Brisbane in relation to Baby Asha and Refugee and the campaign Let Them Stay. And we also have Ronnie Carini from Papua New Guinea, who's also one of the staff members here at 3CR, in relation to what's happening to uh, Papua and update on, on the news. Now, um, we will go to some news items then, um, Zane, yeah? Yeah. So... I was reading a statement last night uh, at Lynx International Journal of Socialist Renewal. Solidarity with Rojava, with the Kurdish Revolution and with the liberation struggle of the PKK. Uh, An international statement on the situation in Syria and Iraq. And Iraq, let us mobilise against dictatorships, imperialist aggression and Daesh. We reject the politics, national security, racism and austerity published by International Viewpoint on 11th of December has now, as of 4th of January 2016, been signed by over 40 revolutionary socialist organisations spanning five continents. Um, It's particularly important at this stage to, to, um, you know, pay attention to this because... uh, the Turkish Prime Minister Erdogan has started to bomb the Kurdish um, uh, mm. people just yesterday. It was last night, very late news, because he had accused Russia of supporting the rebels in Syria, and somehow the strategy seems to have opened up that corridor with the, that allowed the Kurdish forces to fight against ISIS. Well, Erdogan hates the, the Kurdish um, PKK, as we well know. So now he is now attacking the PKK, and this is very timely for you know the, the left of the world to unite in support of well, the PKK. Yeah, but this is the thing. This, this statement that was released, signed by these 40 organisations, was um, specifically talking about supporting 
anti-Assad rebels yep. in Syria yeah. and did not mention the Kurds. So this is what this other statement is saying. We very much welcome the emergence of such broad statements from the left as individuals who feel closely tied to the revolutionary left and its fortunes. We hope to see more international initiatives of this type in the future as they can contribute to an intensification of international coordination between left forces and we'd like to thank comrades for taking the initiative of this international statement. We are deeply disappointed, however, to see that the statement says absolutely nothing about the Kurdish revolution or the specific democratic experiment in Rojava, nor does it proclaim solidarity with them. In our view, this is symptomatic of the difficulties that some parts of the revolutionary left have concerning solidarity with Rojava, the Kurdish revolution, and the PKK. Uh, and goes on to say, we consider it unacceptable for revolutionary socialists not to even mention Rojava, the Kurdish revolution, or the PKK's struggle in a statement on the situation in the Middle East. It demonstrates a political blindness with regard to the most important left force in the Middle East. Solidarity with their fight should instead become a unifying strategic perspective for, the le for left solidarity with progressive forces in the region. And so that was initiated by some um, mainly European, mainly German-based activists, mm -hmm. members and supporters of Delinka and a couple of other groups. Uh, as you'd be aware, there's a, a sizable Turkish and Kurdish diaspora in Germany. Yes. So I would suspect that, you know, there's more of an awareness of the Kurdish struggle in Germany and, and on the German left as a result of there being a, a more more Kurdish people there, more Kurdish people involved in the left. Mm. And for those who are interested here in Melbourne, we have Australians for Kurdistan, uh, and you can just Google it on, on, on the web and you'll find it. And they, they have frequent uh, rallies at uh, the State Library in support of what's going on there, and, and we know that the women feature strongly given that IWD is coming up, I think that's important to, to uh, mention. So they are a great inspiration to women around the world in fighting for the liberation. Okay, moving on. On, on the other side, just before we do move on, um, on the other side of the coin, there were reports this week of one of the Kurdish groups in Syria, in Aleppo, joining with Russia and the Assad military attacking anti-Assad rebels in part of Aleppo. Mm, mm. There were reports of that, and that's obviously not a good development at all, mm. and uh, I don't think that that's... Uh, I don't think that that's a positive development at all. Well, the, well one has to understand that the, the, the Kurds are divided into four nations, mm. and every one of them have different politics, if you like, but the ones in Syria are by the best, and Iraq... Um, are toward more to the left than the other two, Iran and Turkey. So it's, um, it's a divided uh, community, and the level of um, fervor in, in seeking liberation and how left or, or you know, center they are, depends on which country they are from and how the oppression has worked on these people into keeping them down. That, that's the thing we need to understand. But PKK, PKK is a driving force, and if you recognize that, and understand what they're trying to do, um, then I think we are on firm ground. Mm. And that's an important thing to remember. And one of the other things that I've read is talking about how a substantial, I think a majority of, of the Free Syrian Army or the Kurdish rebels are 
of a Sunni background, yep. and a substantial number of people ended up jumping ship from the Free Syrian Army to the Nusra Front. So uh, I don't think it's as simple as saying the the Kurds in Aleppo woke up one morning and decided no. to join with Russia in attacking not. the FSA. I think mm. there's underlying frictions there, uh, quite separate to Russia's involvement. Absolutely. But it's it's still concerning nonetheless. So no, we'll course. have to keep an eye on that. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna go off and get our first interviewee online while you read more news. Alrighty. So the vigil of uh, more than 200 people for baby Asha outside the Lady Cilentro Children's Hospital in Brisbane continues as the hospital joined a growing group of institutions offering sanction to refugee families. In a statement on February 12, a Lady Cilentro Children's Hospital spokesman said, Children's Health Queensland can confirm that a 12-month-old girl from the Nauru Detention Centre is currently receiving care at the Lady Cilentro Children's Hospital, <coughs> Pardon me. as is the case with every child who presents at the hospital. This patient will only be discharged once a suitable home environment in, is identified. All decisions relating to a, parent's, to a patient's treatment and discharge are made by qualified clinical staff based on a thorough assessment of the individual patient's clinical condition and circumstances and with the goal of delivering the best outcome. Uh, so baby Asha, as she is known, was learning to walk when she grabbed a cup of boiling liquid and suffered burns that required medical attention. Her parents, minority Christians from Nepal, originally arrived in Australia in October 2013 and Asha was born in Darwin. The decision of doctors not to release her has sparked an overnight vigil outside the hospital on February 12 that grew to a large rally the next day in which protesters called on the federal government to let Asha and her family remain in Australia. The Refugee Active Collection Queensland led the protest, which was joined by nurses, young families, patients in wheelchairs, the head of the Queensland Nurses Union, Beth Moll, and children's book author Isabel Carmody. And we're about to talk to Fergal McGovern, who you may remember. Fergal is a resistance Young Socialist Alliance member who has been a co-host here at Greenleft Radio. He's recently moved back and is living in Brisbane, but has been involved with that picket. And we'll be talking to Fergal about that because it's really developed some momentum. And crucially, the trade union movement has really backed this picket and has helped get people along there and support it, which is really good to see. As, as we know, a lot of trade union officials are from the Labor Party, and in particular at a federal party, the Labor Party... Uh, supports offshore detention. It supports keeping Nauru open and having this hardline draconian policy on refugees. So it's good to see at a ground uh, level, at a, at, a, at a more grassroots level, uh, Labor Party members and supporters participating in this picket and really challenging the, the bipartisan approach to sending refugees to, to gulags. Alrighty. Okay, so, our first um, interviews online, I hope. Yes, are you there, Fergal? I am here. Good morning, and you're awake. I'm awake. <laughs> I'm awake. I, I've been on the picket line. Thank you very much. That's right, exactly what we like. That's Good right, to yeah. hear. Was, yeah, no, I've been, I was, I actually, I was 
crossing up between Spain overnight last night, but um, I, was, I was there till about 10. It's, yeah. Oh, it's fantastic there. It's hard to, it's hard to drag myself away. Now, which picket line are we talking about? Oh, the picket line, Lady Salento, in support of the um, the hospital staff at, who are refusing to release um, the young baby Asha, the refugee child who... Um, the, oh, the, yeah, they're refusing to let, let her go until a suitable home environment can be found, which is fantastic. Hmm. So how many people are in the picket line, Fergal? Um, it's fluctu- it fluctuates. Um, it's, there's um, usually about... There's never less than 10. Um, sort of like that's during the uh, morning, there'll be about 10. There'll be a few more sort of in the afternoon. Probably it can get up to about... A couple of hundred because there'll be they have uh, evening rally. Yep. Um, and then over the night they'll probably be you know, about similar, staying overnight, holding, maintaining the line. Sounds really good. And that's a Lady Salento Children's Hospital, isn't it? Is that how you pronounce it? Yep. Yeah, Lady Salento. Yeah, for a while I was calling it Lady Salento, but the Coriander. <laughs> <laughs> now the spirit must be pretty high because there's amazing um, support for this campaign around Australia, isn't there? Oh, it's terrific. I mean, and being on the uh, it's it's on a main road as well, uh, going into the city, and you know during the day, you know we'll have the you know beep if you support refugees, and the amount of people who beep and. Oh, it's terrific. Um, it's great because the other thing is that you, you know, for every person who'll stop by and say something, you know, racist or just, you know, unsupportive to say, you know, um, you'll have 30 people who've, you know, like just shown solidarity. But it's, yeah, it's been fantastic to see how much people have actually, you know, feel the need to express support for it and how, and how much concern and compassion they have for refugees. It seems like things are really turning around. Mm. And this pick is being organised by the refugee collective up there. It's well, it's most. I think it's sort of a lot. It's a, it's become a bit more of than that. I think the unions are, are supporting it a big deal and get up, and the Greens have got behind it as, as well a right. fair bit. Great. And I also noticed that uh, the deputy premier, um, no, not deputy premier, the. Um, I just had it here and I've lost it. Premier Anastasia Palashenk and Health Minister Cameron Dick were announcing that they supported the doctors and urged Turnbull to show compassion. And also Deputy Premier Jackie Trad visited the protesters, and some of whom had spent the night camped out at the hospital, as you say, to let them know that the state government had written to the federal government offering to house and care for Asha and her parents. And that must be a positive news for the people on the picket line and the doctors and nurses at the hospital. Oh, totally. I mean, that that in itself is really good. Um, but it's really interesting because on the um, sort of first sort of few days of the picket, um, there was a, a point when the a Labor MP was kind of you know wanting to speak and. Essentially, like because you know this was before you know this sort of firm sort of commitment of support from the from the premier, um, but essentially people just booed 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 her off because you know it's it's all well and good now for Labor to be supporting the picket, but you know it's like up until now, um, well what have we had? We've had essentially Labor making the policies that are made the policy necessary. I mean, the, you know, it's the Labor who said there will be no resettlement in Australia, you know, the PNG solution and all this kind of thing. Hmm. So, yeah. 
And this is how they save lives. You know, the, the, the campaign from the days of Howard and Abbott was, oh, we are saving lives at sea, and yet it seems like they're attacking the refugees as opposed to the uh, people who are um, trading in, in people smuggling. Um, has there been discussion about that strategy that has been touted? Not really. I mean, it's it's sort of seen at the moment. There's just it's just it's all just focused on let them in. It's no crime to seek asylum. I mean, oh, like, yeah, it's not sort of talking about people from anything like that. And it, it's just which I I think is important because I I've kind of sort of sometimes feel that the I mean, I think yeah the the focus on the people smuggling is just. Yeah, it's like, I mean, if they've got a right to come, then why does it matter how they come or who takes them? Mm. Um, but, yeah, no, it's just like it just generally, it's no crime to seek asylum. No one is illegal. Let them, let, let them land and stay. Yeah, especially if they stop dro- dropping bombs on these people's homes in the first place. They <laughs> yeah. wouldn't leave, would they? <laughs> that's totally right. Like, actually, that's been one of the really interesting things. A lot of these, a lot of, you talk to people on the picket line, the people who've had... You know, very little involvement in activism before, but they sort of see this. It's like, well, if you know, if, if it wasn't for the Australian government invading the, the countries and waging war on them, they wouldn't be here. You know, like if if we, yeah, if we weren't bringing war to people, they wouldn't be fleeing the countries. That's right. And and the interesting thing is, maybe Asha is actually from Sri Lanka. Is the family are from Sri Lanka, aren't they? Um, now I re- I read recently that. The family's actually Nepalese, I okay. think. But okay. yeah, but um, it's yeah. But uh, uh, what is actually situation was that she, she was born in Darwin, mm. but because the because they came by boat illegally, they Supposedly. the high court decision was never. Yeah. But yeah, they yeah she she never even though she was born in Australia, uh, it, you know, she didn't arrive. Yeah, she she technically arrived by boat or some just some really legal yeah, yeah, yeah. nonsense. Techn- te- technical crap. That's yeah, what. Yeah. The, pardon my language, listeners, but that's yeah. what the, it seems like. The high court seems to pick on particular words to to hang its hat on, really. But interesting yeah. because um, the Lancet, which is a, a, a high, very highly respected medical journal, says uh, was one of world's leading medical journals, has condemned Australia's immigration detention policies in its February issue. It has described the policies as scandalous, scandalously objectionable, and it said it needed to develop a humane response, starting with an end to the detention of children and their families. The medical fraternity obviously are very much behind this campaign, and I remember the Children's Hospital in Melbourne started the campaign. It, it, it came and went when, when um, which, there was another group of children who were there for treatment at that time. Do you remember that one, Fergal? Vaguely. Yeah. Vaguely. Yeah, so it seems like they've set a really good example, the, the people at the Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne. And now, oh, the Royal Children's Melbourne, of course I remember it. Yeah, yeah that was, that was uh, highly publicised and it's all went quiet. And it, it seems like the media, the general media, not 3CR, is in, the, they're in collusion with this um, government's policies. And how are Yeah, that? well... Sorry, go on. Oh, no, 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 it's okay, comrade. I'm just uh, in, in agreement. Yeah. I'm just wondering how the Brisbane media is responding to this campaign by the hospital staff. Well, um, I mean, 
owned by the mining company Grupo Mexico de Pasta de Conchos, Cojila. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. 65 miners died and nine suffered multiple burns. Years later, the bodies of 63 of the dead miners still lie buried 100 meters underground because the company suspended attempts to recover the bodies. This February, on the eve of the 10th anniversary, the first National Mining Forum of 2016 will take place at the headquarters of Los Mineros, in which members of the National Executive Committee, the General Vigilance Justice Council, and national and international figures will participate. The Regional Secretary of the Latin America and Caribbean, uh, Jorge Almeida, is going to represent Industrial All Global Union at this occasion. Now, there has been no compensation for these people, and they will demand in this forum to recover the bodies and a fair compensation to families of those killed in punishment of the responsible industrial homicide. As we know, large companies are rarely held responsible for the disasters they cause. They cause. Mm. Whether it's a cleanup of the oceans where all spills happen or mining accidents like this, they are always left on the hook. They're classified as white-collar crime. And until today, it fascinates me that when it comes to safety in, at the industrial um, complexes, wherever it may be, that employers are never prosecuted for mm. murder. And that's all, you know, it's, it's at, at the most manslaughter as like a slap on the wrist and they get minimal fines. Um, it's very rare that these guys get, um, you know, brought to justice. But the miners are demanding immediate action. Uh, but mean that the arrogant company managers led by Germain Larry and Z- uh, Xavier Garcia refused to do anything, um, said uh, Gomez Urutia, the company, um, act- he, who, he is one of the uh, union representatives. So that's the news from Mexico, which is a sad one, but I think that reminds us that safety is of utmost importance at the workplace, yeah. and given the state of unions here today, that will hopefully trigger some people's attention into what's happening in their workplace and safety. Mm. And there was a young construction worker killed this week as well at a construction site in Carlton. Mm. They were 20 metres up. On a, It was reported they were standing on a ad hoc work platform. <sighs> this gave way and the person fell 20 metres and were killed. Great scaffolding then, isn't it? Mm. It's just disgusting. This is a problem, isn't it? When unions start losing their grip, um, safety goes down the drain. And not long ago, we had that wall fall at um, Swanson Strait and killed yeah, a couple of people. On, so it yeah, it's, 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 it's just atrocious. And the media never covers these things justly, so to speak. It never the workers' point of view. It always is balancing act they carry on. Call it fair reporting. But when one's dead, where's your fair reporting? It just infuriates me. But anyway, there's a few more news items coming up. Um, this would be interesting. Nissan, uh, the car company, which I'm in, in, in battle with at the moment, or oh, my car, it's a different issue. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you got beef with Nissan. Yes, I, I do. <laughs> um, the, tr- the, 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 this is to do with the uh, Olympics. In Rio for 2016, it's a Paralympics actually, representatives from trade unions in Brazil will hand deliver a complaint letter to Carlos uh, Nuzman, president of the organizing committee for Rio 2016 Olympic and Paralympic Games. 
and um, Ambassador Agma 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 Agma. I should learn Spanish actually. Santos, director of the institutional relations today at 12. The Japanese-owned car giant, which operates in, in alliance with French-based Renault, is supplying around 6,500 vehicles to the Olympic and Paralympic Games in Brazil, taking place in August, and is the only motor supplier. Now, Industrial Global Union's uh, Brazil affiliates say that Nissan's aggressive anti-union suppression at its plant in Canton, Mississippi, is in direct contradiction to the Sustainable Supply Chain Guide for Sponsors and Suppliers of Olympics and Paralympic Games in Rio de de Janeiro, which lists freedom of association among its standards and and another union issue again. uh, Your freedom to to gather to discuss issues is, uh, you know... Hmm. Squashed, basically. You, you guys, in, in, in the USA, you can understand that the unions are so much battered, and some unions are in coalition with the political party, so it makes it very difficult. So, 18th February, Action Rio will see Brazilian trade unions, UGT, Forza, Forza Sindical, CUT, the National Union of Athletes, as well as the Union Auto Workers and Industrial, Industrial Unite in support of workers at Canton who have been intimidated and reprimanded by Nissan in retaliation for union activists. Nissan workers from Mississippi will also attend the event. Despite Nissan allowing union representatives at other plants around the world, including Brazil, Nissan North America Employee Handbook expressly advises workers to decline union membership. What? So, yes. That is scandalous. That's why I want to read this news item. It's so horrible. Mm. We simply ask, we are simply asking to be treated with the same respect shown to our unionized colleagues at Nissan and Renault workplaces around the world. Mm. I am proud to stand along my Brazilian colleagues in asking the Olympic Committee to put its values into action. So this is Morris Mock, again, one of the um, industrial law representatives. So that's the state mm. of the unions and worth watching because usually this is massive construction, constructions and, and events. Something always happens because of lack of safety, as we said before. Mm. I should get Bernie Sanders on the phone. <laughs> no, that's a good idea. But can we is a question. <laughs> He's a very popular man, isn't he? Okay, another um, um, news item. Minor parties threaten coalition seats. Did you hear that on the news? So this, this came out last night, and uh, the coalition is trying to change the rules of the Senate ticket in mm. its elections, and the details are still very hazy. Um, obviously, the uh, minor parties uh, will know some of the details, which haven't been released yet, but the idea is to squash all minor parties. Mm. Interesting, isn't it? They don't like being questioned, the major parties. Labor has, um, now Bill Shorten said that, well, we want to look at the details before we comment. This is a standard spin answer that he always gives when he really doesn't have a line or doesn't, hasn't thought about the issue, who knows? Or maybe he doesn't support the issue, um, who knows? But the, the, um, independents mainly are now threatening to stand in the lower house if they fiddle with the Senate um, election processes. Okay. And um, the discussion was about the long Senate uh, uh, ballot papers. They have people like they say, oh, people are confused. And 
and, and they they really is, is demeaning actually. They're saying, oh, most people vote above the line. They have no idea what happens to the votes, and um, it's uh, the parties in the end who decide how the preferences are you know distributed. Uh, it, it's it's a funny because we're going for many many years now. And Tasmania, for example, has proportional representation, which will be a more just way of reorganizing all the whole election process. But they don't do that. They want some other um, style of voting. I have no idea what the changes are going to be, and that's some news that we really have to um, watch. Mm. So that's hot news because that's going to be a. a, yeah. a you know, the media has reported it. I haven't seen it in any other Yeah, I think the Senate system is definitely not perfect, and there are some people who wrote it. But I, if if I was a Greens MP, I'd be I'd be calling for changes to the lower house ticket because we know the Greens at the last election, I think they got about nine or ten percent of the vote. It was mm. 150 seats in the lower house. Mm. The Greens should have about 15 seats. Instead, yep. they've got one. Yeah. So I think the Actually, the less democratic of the two houses of parliament yep. federally mm. is the lower house, not yeah. the Senate. Yeah, yeah. I guess, you know, you really have to look at what democracy really means in the system of voting. Um, proportional representation is a much better way of doing it because that proportion of voters who want a particular person in, in the Senate or the lower house get a representative. Mm. And that's what this, uh, any electoral system should be all about, ways fair representation. Mm. At least that's what I think. I mean, people have different views on this. Um, so the preferential um, voting system is under question at the moment. So that's the other bit of news. Alrighty. I might just play a quick announcement. Yep, I'll just read You're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR. Welcome. 3CR Breakfast Radio meets the people. So come along to 3CR's Sustainable Breakfast Series. Broadcast live from Friends of the Earth Food Co-op. Join us for breakfast tasties at Friends of the Earth 312 Smith Street, Collingwood, or tune in to 3CR to hear what people are doing in the area of sustainability. From Tuesday, March the 15th to Friday, March the 18th. Starts at 7am, goes through to 8.30am. Come down, watch a live show. Every show will have a musician, and it's a fantastic initiative by 3CR and Friends of the Earth. Supported by Yarra Council. Yes, sustainable breakfast coming up in March. And we will, of course, be playing our part doing the Green Left Radio Breakfast Show from the Friends of the Earth Food Co-op. So tune on in, as you always do. It's going to be staunch. Okay, this week in the Adelaide Advertiser, on the 14th of Feb, there was an article regarding the Royal Commission into the Nuclear Industry, a gigantic $445 billion $445 billion would be pumped into the state's finances in South Australia 
over at least 70 years by creating a lucrative high-level nuclear waste dump in South Australia, the Royal Commission reveals. The cash bonanza would be generated by a state wealth fund, growing by more than $6 billion a year through investing $257 billion in total revenue from a nuclear storage and disposal facility. Unveiling the Nuclear Fuel Cycle Royal Commission's tentative findings, Commissioner Kevin Scarce said that a waste repository would initially generate about $5 billion for the first 30 years, about one-third of the state government's present revenue. Dave Sweeney replied in the February 17 Guardian, Around the world, radioactive waste management is a growing and unresolved management issue, an environmental challenge. If managing nuclear waste was so straightforward or lucrative, then it would have already been done. Some countries, most notably Finland, are advancing deep geological burial sites, but the cost and complexity is high. After seven decades of commercial nuclear power operations, not one nation has a final disposal site for high-level waste, and the sector is strewn with failed projects, timeline delays, and massive cost overruns. Against this landscape, it is hard to see Australia providing the silver bullet or even some buckshot. We have limited nuclear industry experience and infrastructure and lack the regulatory framework to manage such waste. Moreover, a range of state and federal laws expressly preclude such an activity, one which has no bipartisan political support in a deeply sceptical and contested Australian public sphere. And it goes on to say, Premier Weatherall has flagged increased engagement with the Commonwealth Government ahead of the Commission's final report on the 6th of May. He's outlined that while the South Australian Government does not currently have a fixed view, he is prepared to consider such a proposition and will provide a full response to the State Parliament before the end of the year. Unlike the global nuclear power sector, which is dying out due to growing public opposition and costs and the rise of renewables, nuclear waste is like zombie waste. It remains undead. The stage is now set for a public debate and a community choice as to whether the options are really so scarce that South Australia's and Australia's best future economic chance is dependent on hosting the world's worst environmental waste. So that's an important one to keep an eye on. And I reckon anti-nuclear activists around the country will be gearing up for a big fight around that. And I think a lot of ordinary people will be... Uh, not particularly excited by this prospect. Uh, $445 billion sounds like a lot of money over 70 years, but the thing is, this stuff lasts for hundreds of thousands of years, and whoever it is that pays us initially to take this stuff, the USA, France, India, China, whoever wants us to take all of the waste from their power stations. There's around 390,000 tonnes of the stuff. They're, they're probably not going to keep paying for the upkeep of this facility over the next couple hundred thousand years. And that's the real issue with nuclear waste. It's, it might seem like a good deal to get all this money for a couple of decades, but this is a massive problem that's going to have to be dealt with. And where will it be dumped? Inevitably on Aboriginal land. So Aboriginal people typically have opposed the extraction of this stuff. They've consistently said, leave this in the ground, it's poison. And now it, it's proposed that it be dumped on Aboriginal land as well. So 
that uh, radioactive racism at its worst. Alrighty, time for another announcement. Ha ha ha. Now if you're sick and tired of the news reports And your modern day life is a blues source Put your head in the sand Hey, this is Jane from The Herb Please support community radio and your local music scene We can't hear you You are listening to 3CR This is Greenleft's weekly Friday morning breakfast radio uh, Some more refugee news Originally published as Canada Refugee Progress Outpaces Australia. This is at news.com.au uh, today. Canada has flown in more than 20,000 refugees from Syria, while Australia has only resettled 26 so far. But Immigration Minister Peter Dutton is unapologetic. Mr Dutton defended the pace of resettling people from Syria under Australia's special intake of 12,000, saying security checks could not be rushed. We're not going to compromise in any case our national security, Mr Dutton told 2GB Radio from Washington, D.C. Mr Dutton told reporters in Washington that biometric screening, enhanced security checks and database intelligence checks with countries such as the U.S., Canada and the U.K. are underway to ensure the bona fides of people. We want to extend a hand of welcome to these people who are in desperate need of a new life, he said. Canada's progress was a matter for that country, he said. Refugee Council of Australia Chief Executive Paul Power said that the government was dragging its feet while the rest of the world acted on on their promises to resettle Syrian and Iraqi refugees. He said there were many organisations desperate to help with resettlement. It's a shame for all concerned that the Australian settlement program is so bogged down in bureaucratic delays when the governments of Canada and New Zealand have proven that it is possible to move much more swiftly, he said in a statement. I was just going to say, to me, as a migrant, that sounds like racism. Mm. Yeah, because you're from a country that they don't approve of, mm. you have to be checked what they deem to be very thoroughly, especially by ASIO, who never gives you reasons for denying you asylum. I'm sorry, but you know that may sound cynical, but that's what I see in front of me. But I share your cynicism. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Peter Wall's online, ah, so right. we can move. Morning. Morning, Peter. Welcome to 3CR. Now, today, um, Peter is the Socialist Alliance candidate for Sydney whenever the elections happen. And we're going to talk to Peter about the Medicare and health cuts. Now, what, what is the position of Socialist Alliance on these cuts, Peter? Well, we're trying to defend what I think is, uh, you know, uh, an attack by uh, a sort of a guerrilla warfare that this government is waging on uh, on our uh, universal health care system. And basically, we are for uncompromising defense of the system and its extension. Its extension primarily through, um, you know, moving into community-based uh, uh, health care, which goes beyond the kind of really half-private, mostly privatized uh, system which we have, you know, of, of GPs, etc. But mm. let's go back to the attacks. I mean, Abbott's uh, first round of attacks, particularly with the GP co-payment attacks and, and, and other cuts to funding, were rejected overwhelmingly. And he had to back down on this. And you'd think they would have learned to lesson, that is, the Liberals would have learned to lesson that this is one of the areas 
that they are going to be very unpopular That's right. if they keep having a go, go at. But they came back again. They came back uh, with under the Turnbull government with these uh, uh, removal of diagnostic services from Medicare coverage, you know, including pap smears, you know. Yeah. Uh, imagine it must hit some very, very vulnerable people who have to have regular tests, uh, you know, if they're going to be taken off uh, Medicare coverage. And now we have a new idea floated. And it's interesting the way they've done, instead of coming in one package, it just comes in, you know, little bits and pieces. And the latest one is this idea of privatizing privatizing um, certain aspects of uh, delivery of, of, of uh, Medicare repayments. So it's a part privatization of, of, of the system. And that's why I say it's like a guerrilla war. They're attacking here, they're attacking there. They're seeing what they can get away with. And, and I'm trying to think, you know, but what, what, what's the logic here? And um, I think one thing I notice is that under Turnbull, he, he has tried to, to do by stealth what Abbott did in a much more front-on way. Absolutely right. And, and yes, and so he's looking for the sort of, uh, you know, he, he thinks that there's a cut here that, that might either escape the full attention of the community or, or upset one little group of people more than everyone else and others might be complex and he might just get away with it. And, and thinking of it, you know, this is um, uh, a pattern that we've seen in New South Wales here with the New South Wales Liberal government because we've got one of these... Uh, I guess we've got the first of the liberal smiling assassin. Mm. That's Mike Baird. You know, he's he's always smiling. You know, he's <laughs> sending out tweets saying he's a good guy. You know, yeah, he's a regular yeah. bloke. You know, uh, and in the meantime, you've got these sort of little privatisations, little cuts coming through, almost unnoticed. You know, he's hoping to just ride it through with his big grin. You know, and boyish features, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I don't think it's working, do you? I mean, I think uh, I think Turnbull's not looking like a very happy person. Well, the the thing the thing really is that a strategy that um, Abbott tried, which is uh, as you put it, you know, um, a cuts by stealth, is when they try to charge pathology services and even X-ray services, and not mm. the people directly. So what they do, they attack the service provider. Mm. And, and do not pay them the the normal Medicare mm. rebate, um, mm. as opposed to directly charging people. So it's it's a indirect attack on the people. Uh, yeah, by to get the provider or the doctor to actually be the person who seems to be delivering the pain. That's right. That's right. So it's, it's distancing themselves away from the mm. direct impact or what they see as a direct impact, which is, they think will fool the people. Um, I, I, for me, the biggest issue is, like you and I are in the senior categories at the moment, and I'm looking at all the aged people, and they, there's always this, this campaign about, oh, you know, Australia's aging, blah, blah, blah. And it's that um, a large minority of people who are being attacked because they are the ones who are mostly in need of these health services they are uh, targeting. Um, I'm wondering if, if uh, you think that's correct. Yeah, well, see, this is, this is the thing which, uh, I, you know, I could say, I mean, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure the federal government is, is thinking about this. Um, they're in very, very dangerous ground, you know. I mean, uh, one, one kind of rule that Abbott observed, uh, and, well, actually, Abbott did recognize uh, following uh, John Howard's rule, was that 
you got to be very careful with with uh, with the age pensioners bracket, you know, mm. uh, what you do. And, so it's and one of their main support bases. Which yeah, is, yeah, you know, they, they, you want to keep you want you, you, you don't want to keep uh, get get that layer too angry. And Howard was very uh, very very careful. I mean, Abbott maybe slightly less so, but uh, I, I think this is a, a, quite a surprising thing with Turnbull. And but I think the game is not going to work, and and because especially after that extremely provocative intervention uh, by uh, Kate Carnell mm. of the Australian Chamber of Commerce, making the grab the grab for basically for the homes of age pensioners. Mm. You know, oh God, yes. Mm. That the age pension be converted into a loan. Yes. And I was thinking, okay, we've got hex. Now we're going to have pex. Yes. The thing is that it, 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 it is not flying. Uh, I'm sure you've seen the meme. There was a meme that came out and it was distributed on Facebook and it was a picture of Kate Carnell standing in front of a house with a for sale sign and, you know, where you have the sort of clever uh, renovators delight, whatever, quote, it said, handed over grandma. <laughs> and within a day, it was it was shared thousands and thousands of times, and the and the comments on it fury, because ordinary working people, having you know gone through their whole lives, do expect to be you know reasonably looked after in their retirement. And I think this applies to health, mm. uh, because if you think of it, you know um, most ordinary working people have given over their life. They've actually often given over our health to the boss, to the employment. Mm. You know, that, that the employer has squeezed a life out of a person, mm. often left them with uh, broken bodies, mm. uh, injuries of various sorts which which arise out of work and their exploitation. And, and, and you know, when they say, oh, you know, all these old people are using all these services, well, that's why. Mm. If you had a society... Which didn't use people like uh, like factory fodder, um, then there would be less health problems in mm. old age, and and I think that's what what what, what we are seeing here. But they seem to be driven, and I, they're driven by the bosses. They're driven by the by the large corporations that that want two things. One, they want anything that they can make a buck out to be privatised. And it's relentless, whether it's Australia Post they're looking at or whether it's, mm. it's aspects of Medicare. Now, I gather the two are linked because one possibility uh, they are discussing is to take uh, some aspects of Medicare service delivery, package it into Australia Post, make it a more viable for Australia Post to become privatised. Right. So it's, it's all connected. Yeah, I've heard it described it's, as it's, fattening it up yeah. for markets, fattening it up Correct. for the sale. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, and then the other side, of course, nakedly, it's cost cutting. And but the problem is that I think most people in the community say, you know, they're talking about cutting the cost, but for what? They want to give it back in tax cuts and more subsidies for the corporate rich. Mm. And I think this is rankling, and they 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 severely underestimate how much anger there is out there in the community at what people see as you know an in, insatiable greed. Mm. by the corporate rich. They just yeah. want more and more and more. I mean, there is no end to it. 
Well, there's another yeah. capitalist system. Unless you make a profit, you die. So, I guess this is true, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> the, Someone uh, said to me, you know, are, are, are these people mad? You know, <laughs> I said, no, it's not mad. I mean, maybe the you could say they're sort of capitalist zombies. You know, they're, they're, it's disembodied greed, isn't it? Yeah. You know, capital demands a return. Give me 10%. If there isn't one greedy CEO who's going to make the ridiculous demand, they will find another one. Mm. You know, they're just chasing, chasing return. And, and, and it, to that extent, I think we we live in an age that the, the demands of the rich seem so outrageous, but we can only really understand it in the form of this, this thing called disembodied greed. You know, it's systematic mm. greed. Mm. It, it's the capital demanding its return, regardless of the cost. It's um, <clears throat> so in that sense, people think, oh, can these people do that greed? Well, yeah, sorry, someone got paid to do it. Someone got paid to be a total bastard somewhere down the line, you know. Mm. Uh, and, and they need to pay them a bit more. And, and I guess this is why you're fading, Peter. Going. You're fading. Huh? You're fading. Get CEO closer. salaries are going so big. Because the more you have to ask people to do really outrageous and cruel and wicked things, I guess, you know, the more you have to the pay. More, <laughs> the more devil money you've got to pay him. All devil right. money. <laughs> All right, stick around. I'm uh, just going to play a quick little announcement, and then uh, we just want to hear from you quickly about the these cuts are killing us protests happening around the country uh, this weekend. Sure. Green Left Radio. <laughs> you like that, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I do like that. Uh, all right, so Peter. <laughs> um, that was yeah. a funny one. <laughs> yes, that's one of his creations. <laughs> yeah, it's by Dysphemic, actually. It's a so, local no, Melbourne dubstep producer of, of Greek background, in yeah. fact. Before we talk about the rail, I just want to ask a couple of questions. One is, um, this is a, a, a clear shift of wealth from the poor to the rich again. And the other thing that bothers me quite a bit is the, uh, what I see is, is a lack of um, demonstration of the anger that you express, Peter. That, that worries me a bit. What, what have you got to say about that? Well, I'm, we're, we're expecting a very big, um, big uh, demonstration in Sydney tomorrow. I, I'm not sure whether it's going to be as big in every other city. I'm not sure what Melbourne probably will be reasonably big. But here, the, uh, the the official trade union movement has come behind it in a big way. Hmm. They've done leafleting, they've done donutting, they've produced all the material, and um, they are, you know, uh, coming right behind. And and uh, and and I think as a a bit of an indication of the role they played uh, at the very last minute, two days ago, the committee received a request from Bill Shorten to address the the rally. Hmm. Now it, it was accepted. On the basis that he would, uh, you know, uh, promote the demands of the rally, uh, but I think he's uh, he's sniffing something in the wind. Um, I think I think that's the case. Now, it's hard to say. You know, Australia's a funny place, isn't it? Things come a little bit behind the rest of the world. But many people I've spoken to, and it's my impression, there is a bit of a uh, a wave of um, anti-capitalist left-wing sentiment sweeping through many countries, many developed, uh, many of the richer countries. I mean, even the United States, you can see in the, in the, in the, uh, in the election, presidential election campaign primaries there. Clearly, that, uh, there is a layer of people, and, and, and most heartening, hearteningly, a layer of younger people mm. who are out there, you know, mm. 
um, thinking about alternatives to capitalism, looking for socialism. Socialism is the most Google word in the US <laughs> in the last period. Now, who would have who would have thunk, as they would say? Um, and <laughs> now, you know, Australia, of course, you know, sadly, uh, to form, you know, tends to follow the trend a little bit later. And and so, can we anticipate this to show itself more and more in demonstrations? I am very heartened by the let them stay phenomena. Mm-hmm. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it is mushrooming. You know, people everywhere are getting the signs together, coming up and, and having a little, you know, making a stand. Uh, mm-hmm. The atmosphere down in the hospitals, which have, well, I haven't been to, to, to Brisbane's Lady Slanter Hospital. I hope to visit it this weekend. But um, the hospital nearest my place had a solidarity action uh, this week, 7.30 in the morning. Fantastic turnout, you know, primarily by nurses, midwives, uh, a few doctors as well and, and, and other hospital staff. But lots of the community came out to join them. Mm. And you, you had, well, I had the feeling that, that we have, uh, uh, a, there is a rise of confidence in people wanting to say no, you know, say, say defend, defend certain basic values. And I'm sure this is going to, this is going to show itself around you know these these guerrilla attacks on the on on the universal healthcare system. Hmm. Mm. And on that note, yeah, we're going to have to wrap it up. We're yep. going to get to the activist news, let people know about the protests that's happening down here. So, yeah, thank you very much for coming on, Peter. Thanks, thanks for thanks okay. for talking to me. Thank yeah, you. Hope it goes okay. Well tomorrow. Okay. Bye. Bye. You are listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR. And in the studio, we have Ronnie Carini, uh, who's the, you're the current, affairs. current affairs manager at 3CR. Yeah. Um, so we're going to have an interview with Ronnie about uh, West Papua Liberation Movement uh, in a moment. But before we do, just going to do the Melbourne activist calendar. So as we've just been speaking to Peter Boyle there, Tomorrow, Saturday, February 20, the Turnbull Coalition government is reducing funding for pathology tests. This could lead to us paying at least $30 for pap smears and urine and blood tests. These tests save lives and nobody should go without health care because they can't afford it. We need publicly provided free and accessible pathology rather than cuts that bring uncertainty and anxiety to some of the most vulnerable in society. Only action will stop these cuts. Uh, so go online, Google it, sign the petition. These cuts are killing us. And head along to the rally tomorrow at 12 noon at the State Library, 328 Swanston Street in the city. Uh, there's a concert coming up Saturday the 20th of February. That's tomorrow as well at 6 o'clock. Kev Carmody is uh, playing at the Melbourne Recital Centre, 31 Sturt Street, South Bank. And Kev Carmody's done some amazing music mm. over the years. Songs like From Little Things, Big Things Grow, Cannot Buy My Soul, River of Tears. Uh, so Kev's earned a legendary status and made a deep and indelible mark on music and shared historical understanding of, of this country. So, yeah, go and, go and check out Kev if you're uh, looking for something to do tomorrow night. The Anatolian Peace and Friendship Festival is happening on Sunday. That's at the Coburg Lake Reserve, beautiful Coburg Lake with swans and ducks. Uh, <laughs> that's, uh, it is lovely. <laughs> Sunday, 21st of Feb, 11 a.m. till 5 p.m. And there'll be music cranking on the stage there and food, and it'll be a damn pleasant time. So 
get along to that as well. Uh, this Bendigo fundraiser, Rock Against Racism, that's on Sunday at 5.30. It's at the Music Man Mega Store, 265 Hargrave Street, Bendigo. A super rad, positive way to counteract the forces which wish to portray the Bendigo community as racist and bigoted. This event offers an opportunity to stand up and show support for a community that rejects all forms of racism and fascism. It's being held in Jajawarung country, and all proceeds go to Jajawarung clan's community support program, providing education and employment assistance to First Nations people. So, yeah, that's in uh, Hargrave Street, Bendigo, Sunday Avo. And there's... Coming up on the 13th of March, in partnership with the Warrior Spirit Collective, Multicultural Arts Victoria is thrilled to be back with the annual Black Harmony Gathering uh, that's from 1pm to 5pm on Sunday the 13th of March, and it's free, and it's at Fairfield Amphitheatre. Uh, so there'll be multi-talented, multi-multi songman uh, Kuchka Edwards, seven-piece high-energy Roots uh, reggae band Rasta Unity, Samoan dance specialist Tama Tatao, African star drumming and dance in collaboration with performer and artist Matthew Wiegberg of Muti Muti and Bunwurong Heritage, performances by young MCs from Artful Dodger Studio, and the Asylum Seeker Resource um, Center music group has made, uh, made made of members from around the globe. So yeah, that is at Sunday, 13th of March, 1 till 5 at Fairfield Amphitheatre. So check that out. Alright. You are listening to Green Left Radio on the Friday morning breakfast show, broadcast live on 3CR Radio, 855am digital, and streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Green Left Radio is brought to you by the Green Left Weekly newspaper, providing a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment before profit. Subscribe to Green Left Weekly by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1-800-634-206. For new subscribers, it's only $10 for the first seven issues. All right. Sorry. Good morning, Ronnie. Good morning, Lalita thank and Zane. Thank you for coming in a little bit late, which helped us because our interview was running late. We couldn't raise all these people early in the morning. It's a bit difficult. But, um, okay, Ronnie is one of our staff at um, 3CR, but he's also one of the leaders of the um, liberation movement of West Papua. So we are honoured to have you in here for the interview. I'm so humbled and, you know, I'm just a voice <laughs> of the people I represent back from West Papua and, yeah. Which is great, anyway. So, we, we do an update on the United Liberation Movement for West Papua. This has been ongoing um, problems in, with Indonesia. Now, the um, ULM WP has opened a new office at Wamana. Yeah, that's correct. Yes. So, just a background to... United Liberation Movement for West Papua, um, Indonesia, the government, Jakarta, has been saying to the outside world that the West Papuan leadership are not united mm. and, and they are fractured, which, you know, it's a tactic of that divide and rule. So in 2014, the leaders from inside and abroad 
uh, met in Vanuatu, mm-hmm. and it was hospiced by the government of Vanuatu, the church groups, and also the uh, the the tribal the the tribal council in Vanuatu, and that made a big statement. And in Jakarta, got surprised of that. And leading up to last year, the West Papuans lobbied to have a membership at the Melanesian Spearhead Group and also the Pacific Island countries, mm. the forum um, which is known as the yeah, PIF. Mm. And leading up to that, Jakarta have been dismissing the existence of the, the United Front, which is under the acronym ULMWP, and saying that it's only the voices in diaspora um, just talking outside. about, yeah, yeah outside and it's uh, not connected to um, West Papua. But yeah. then on Monday, when the announcement of the, o- the inauguration of the office that you know, represents the executive government in West Papua, and there are already other places that the offices will be, or the, will be opening, but in, in Wamena particularly, straight after the inauguration, a few hours later, the head of the police and the military in Wamena came in without any consultation. The people, the, the people already made notice to the police mm. that they'll, they'll be opening up an office. But because of the support that the Papuans came, over 5,000 people that came. Fantastic. And, and then the news broke out from there, okay. which reached um, New Zealand and the Pacific. And so the poli- they have to respond very quickly. And four people were already arrested wow. as of yesterday. Now, just quickly to, to go back a little bit, give us in a nutshell the demands of the um, ULMWP. So the demands of the ULMWP is that the Jakarta should now negotiate with the ULMWP and also f- calling for a UN special envoy to go into West Papua and monitor the human rights situation and also, this is, you know, and also to recognize West Papua's right to self-determination. Yep. And lastly is to review the fraud referendum that took place in 1969. And now there is the International Lawyers for West Papua, an office that is based in UK, which um, is convened under Jen Robinson. Mm-hmm. And she's one of the lawyers of um, Julian Assange's case. And so they, oh, okay. they are... They are working to in the legal pathway to um, to appeal in the somewhere in the High Court in um, ICC to review the referendum that took place in 1969. So that's the in a nutshell. The yeah, it reminds me a little bit of East Timor struggle, same sort of pathway, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. So the, the United Liberation Movement, um, when you're talking about these negotiations with the Indonesian government. Um, is the initial demand to be an like an autonomous region, but still within Indonesia, or are you calling for sovereignty and and for handing that land back to to the West Papuan or to, to Papua New Guinean people? Yeah, and and, and the this first like you know foremost demand is full full freedom, full sovereignty. Yeah, okay. But in the process of that, understanding the complexity of the issue, and you know. As in West Papua, it's one of the, the entangled world where foreign governments, foreign investors, and then the military on one hand, and then the 
and then the administration on the other hand. So there is a lot of layers that if you wanted to focus on one, then you have to untangle the others. But the demand is to to recognize the transitional government under the united front that is already established and and to hear that, okay, this is what the short-term, medium-term and long-term plans that the West Papuans are putting forward with Jakarta and finding a middle solution to, to work together that what is um, you know, practically can be achieved in the, in the long run. But mm. the ultimate goal is um, full freedom. Mm. So what's the current situation is in West Papua? Do you have military occupation by the Indonesian army? It's a good question because it's an ongoing, ongoing um, influx of military. And on the 10th of February, this was just like last week, they, they just reframed the word um, a military o- operation into the word expedition. Oh, so this just happened that they just dropped in over 15,000 um, Kopassu Special Forces. Oh, okay. This is the Kopassus that known in 20, 2004. Like, like black yeah. cats, as they yeah. call it. Yeah. So they just touched down on the 10th of February and with the aim of doing expedition and looking into flora and fauna and um, getting yeah, research on just the livelihoods of the local indigenous people. So this is shocking to everyone in the last few days. And so... There is a question, is this an, an expedition or there is a motive behind that? So this is really scary because mm. there has been already increased unknown killings and this is through the militia groups, but they are well trained by the Indonesian military who are being also um, connected with the training of the, with the U.S. Special Forces and Australian Special Forces. So this is we're heading into a period where it's just a time bomb in West Papua within the next three years, and this is something will go down there mm. pretty soon. It sounds like a, a imminent conflict coming up with the help of the U.S. and Australia. We are ashamed to say. And, and what does the uh, Indonesian President Joko Widodo have to say about this paratrooping of, of Kapasus into into West Papua? Unfortunately, he's just a puppet to the elites. Mm. And given he's coming from a background where he's he's not within the... He doesn't have the military background, not within the elites. And so... And also the party that he represents, the patron are very much pro, like, you know, the founding fathers of the nation of Indonesia. And there are five... The Panchasila is the principles of Indonesia where it's something to die for. At any cost, you can't let go any other small island. So he's under that immense pressure. And given he's in the minority in the government, mm. he, he can't push some you know, bills or proposals through the parliament because the opposition's got the upper hand. And so he's basically trying his very best, visiting West Papua five times within six, 12 months of mm. his... Uh, presidency, but there's no changes on the ground. He's he's making promise that the international media are allowed, but there hasn't been any a proper one going in to investigate. And so, yeah, for his case, it's just another five years of waste down the drain, and it's going back in the Su- Su- Suhato era. Hmm. The oppression. But the good thing is that the Melanesian Spearhead Group is fully in support of the West Papuans. Yeah, that's great. Looking Regional support is really important. Indeed, indeed. And we're so 
um, taking that momentum now yeah. and and continue in um, engaging the civil society in many ways that we can. And so that's also part of me continue with that um, my journey. <laughs> yes, sounds very exciting. And um, I be also believe that you are leaving 3CR for really Canberra. Sad. We will miss you a big time, and it's good to say goodbye on air because you won't get a chance to do that, would you? Oh, thank you. And <laughs> I was so surprised yesterday for the staff and also the volunteers, the programmers here, for yeah, giving me an unexpected. Expected <laughs> um, present and yeah, I felt like you know this is the family that no matter where I go, this is where my heart is. And mm. I, I've been saying this to a few of the colleagues and friends here at Tricia, but yeah, definitely. You know, though I'm go in person physically away, but the engagement and the ongoing campaign with Tricia will always be, be here. But as a person who's been in 3C uh, volunteering for the last six years almost, I, I, I have to say we really appreciated your contribution. It's been fantastic to keep us updated with all the news. That, that the email you sent around is amazing. Um, uh, you know, it, it's an encyclopedia of news on a daily basis, really. So it's been very helpful. So we will sadly miss you, Ronnie. And um, But you're, you're, you're leaving and you're looking at uh, greener pastures, and I hope it will help you with the struggle with what's happening with West Papua, and we, we hope to keep in touch. We have to keep in touch. Definitely, we'll keep in touch. And at some point, I'll, I'll just send an email, drop by, and say, hey, this is what's happening. That would be great. Speaking of news, actually, just, just before we wrap up, you were talking about a uh, Let Them Stay uh, protest that's happened here. Yes, that's right. Um, this morning, as early as 3.30 a.m., there were two women already now occupying that um, the Melbourne yeah, Art Centre. Is that a big tower? Yeah, the tower, 162 meters, or yeah, 160 plus meters. Hmm. So they're still there now, and it's amazing of the the support that people have been coming out and drawing in terms of um, the refugees. And we heard about yesterday in Brisbane, yes, yes, and yes, so yes. now the two ladies are down there at the art center. So our support goes for them and big love, and yeah, we'll. Keep posting everyone up of the update. What's no, happening there? That'd be great, and, and that campaign deserves all the attention you can get. Yes. Okay. Thank you so much, Ronnie, well. for coming in, and um, all the best. Yeah. Best of luck in Canberra. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Respect. <laughs> okay. That that brings us to the end of the program, and let's thank. Uh, Fergal McGovern from Brisbane to up, uh, for updating us on um, Let Them Stay campaign for Baby Asha in mm. Brisbane. And Peter Wall, the um, social science candidate for Sydney, uh, talking about Medicare. And of course, Ronnie for uh, his update on uh, West Papua. And the news roundup. I, I hope we've done justice this Friday. But certainly we have tried to cover as much as we can. There's heaps more we could have done. But that's all time allows us. Mm. All right. We'll uh, catch you next week. Stick around for Beyond Zero Emissions. Okay, thank you very much. And saying goodbye, Zane and Lalita. Au revoir. This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio. Green Left Radio is brought to you by the Green Left Weekly newspaper. Green Left Weekly provides a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment first. If you would like to subscribe to Green Left Weekly and get it delivered to your door, you can do so by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 
634206. For new subscribers, it's only $10 for the first seven issues. Thank you for listening. You are tuned to 3CR Community Radio 855 Digital on the AM dial and streaming live on 3cr.org.au.